The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. been a little discontinuity in my being away from you for two weeks, but we were considering the subject of God-centered prayer. I promised you that I would continue some messages on that general theme, and if you remember where I was two weeks ago, I was working from a non-biblical reminder or actually an acrostic, the, the letters A-C-T-S, which Christians have used for a long time to remind us of adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. We were halfway through that when I was last with you. So we come to the subject of thanksgiving as an important element of God-centered prayer, prayer that correctly understands who God is and addresses Him as such. And I'm looking to two very similar texts both from Paul, from 1 Thessalonians, the end of that letter, chapter 5, verse 16 and following, and then Colossians, chapter 3, and verse 15 and following. Listen to these two portions that are both parts of the farewell instructions of Paul to these two different churches of Thessalonica and Colossae. First of all, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting at 16, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. And then at the conclusion of Colossians 3.15 and following, he writes, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. May God bless this word of His to us. There's one of those apocryphal stories told of two men that we'll call Tom and Frank. Not sure if this ever actually happened or not, but it's an illustrative story. These two men knew each other a long time and had quite a bit of interrelationship. And the time came when Tom lost his job. And so he came to Frank, who he considered a friend, and asked to borrow $500 to tide him through with essential expenses. And Frank said, why do you come to me, Tom? You have a lot of friends. Why should I be the one to help you? And I wonder, what have you done for me in the past? What have I done for you, Tom said. 
Don't you remember when your house burned down 10 years ago and your entire family had to move in with mine and we shared our home with you for several months? Oh, well, yes, I guess I do remember that now that you mention it. And Tom said, don't you remember too that when you started your own business, I prepared your taxes and audited your books for you for free for a couple years? Oh, well, yes, I guess maybe you did do that. And Tom said, well, don't you remember when your son was drowning at the ocean beach and, and I rescued him out of the surf in the nick of time? Oh, yes, I guess I do recall that that happened. But Frank said, you know, all that you just said is true, but Tom, what have you done for me lately? And I suggest to you perhaps that story summarizes where a lot of us stand with God in prayer and offering him thanks. How similar we are. We are capable of being wretchedly ungrateful people. We act as if God has done nothing for us unless there's some big jackpot number that comes up when we think of our very recent experience. But God, what have you done for me today? Read the Old Testament and you see how Israel ought to have been the most thankful people on the face of the earth in the book of Exodus when God led them out from their slavery. They had cried out to God for years and years of the painful situation they were in. Finally, he sent Moses, and Moses rose up against Pharaoh, and you remember the basic story of taking the people out. Miraculous things were done, great signs of power from heaven, the the sea opened up and then drowned the Egyptians and so on. And why you think these people should have been thankful, adoring their God and sounding the greatness of his name in many ways for years to come, always thankful, always trusting him, right? Was that the same people that wanted to lynch Moses not too far into the desert? The same people when they ate miraculous manna that was always there and always satisfying their need. They whined and complained about the monotonous diet who constantly said, God isn't doing anything for us. And we read the Old Testament with amazement at them. But who holds up a mirror to show us in much the same posture? In past weeks, we've considered how the adoration of God is really the front door of prayer and that we need to lift up his name and glorify his character and make that known as we enter into prayer. How the confession of sin is also very important that we look to ourselves and how far we have fallen in specific ways from God's holiness. But now we come to the third letter of that ACTS, Thanksgiving. Ah, you say we've got a corner on that one. We have a whole holiday for it. Why, once every year we all eat pumpkin pie and turkey and we give God thanks. Do you really think that's enough? Do you really think that's what the Scripture has in mind as it says giving thanks continually to God? The words thanks be to God must become a constant theme song on the lips of Christian people. And Paul exemplifies this in his writings. No fewer than about 46 times he has specific 
references to the words for thanks or thanksgiving as he indicates that he knew he was a debtor to grace alone before God, and he urged other believers to know it. And I read just two of them for you today. I'm not exploring all the words of those verses, but the theme of them. First Thessalonians 5, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians 3, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. Human unbelief is often about a short and ungrateful memory, lack of memory, as we don't have thankfulness stamped on the pattern of our discipleship. But it should be conspicuously visible in the way that any Christian lives towards Christ in this world. The first thing I want to look at with you is the, is the problem. What are the forces that war against our being thankful? I think if you're a parent, you certainly have been through this at some time with your child. They get a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, and they've opened it and exclaimed over it and started to enjoy it, and you break in and say, Now, Johnny, what do you say to Aunt Myrtle? Oh, thank you. You know, children have to be taught to be thankful. They're not naturally thankful. We're not naturally thankful. Somehow, we think that adults in this world, uh, when we start out in life at least, exist to do things for us, do good things, and, and make us happy and fulfill all our wishes. And it doesn't really occur to us to be thankful. I've met parents who uh, actually exclaim over the fact when a child unprompted shows good manners and says thanks and please. And they say, oh, what polite children you have. Well, they should be that way. They should be taught to be that way. But we're not habitually, spontaneously that way, are we? We as adults let many things go by that we ought to say, look what the Lord did for me. But we don't even think of it ourselves, let alone say it to anyone else. A first thing that opposes gratitude to God is our deeply rooted pride. Romans 121 states that when Paul is diagnosing the human condition, and he says that men, although they knew God, neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. The fact that they would not give thanks shows they don't think he's responsible for anything that they need to acknowledge. The British writer Os Guinness, who's lived in our country for a long time, once wrote in one of his books, Rebellion Against God does not begin with a clenched fist of atheism, but rather with the self-satisfied heart of anyone for whom the word thank you seems redundant. Do we really have to thank God? Doesn't he exist to bless us? Base ingratitude to God is characteristic of an unconverted heart that does not trust him or trace out or count his blessings. Maybe this message today is as simple as that little childish song we learned to sing, count your many blessings, name them one by one. We need to be reminded to do this because we live in a 21st century entitlement culture. I think one of the most telling 
ads of the last 10 or 15 years, and I think it has been more than a decade ago that these ads first appeared, but they're memorable. If you are under 10 years old, you're not memorable to you, but uh, the ads for the gorgeous model who sidles up to the camera and flips her beautiful hair and then makes it known to you as a viewer that she owes her aura of beautiful perfection to her hair coloring product. And while this product may cost more than others, she purrs, I'm worth it. Remember that? I'm worth it. And that's what our culture tells us. You're worth it. You ought to have the best. If you're not receiving the best and somebody else is getting better than you are in some way, why, go after it because you deserve it. You're entitled to it. And so we're left dwelling in our culture upon what I'm entitled to, my rights. And if I don't seem to have those things, then I start pitying myself and whining and complaining. Another pressure besides this pride and self-entitlement is the sense when we see suffering either in ourselves or people around us, any kind of suffering, suffering of injustice, suffering of hurricanes, suffering of 9-11 terrorist attacks, suffering from cancer, anything that makes us say, things seem to be out of whack here, and so why should I be thankful? Maybe you think that a message on thankfulness can't have anything to say to those who've lost their homes and their electricity and their cars and maybe even lives of some of their friends in the hurricane areas or the earthquake areas here just recently. Well, I would say if you would read carefully, we were enjoined by 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances, and the difference is more than minor. We are not asked to stand before God and say, Oh God, I thank you for this hurricane. It's just wonderful. We love hurricanes. Thank you, God. No, of course not. But you are asked to say, Oh God, I thank you that in this hurricane, first of all, you preserved my life and my family's life. My home is gone. My possessions are gone, but you left me alive. You spared me. And now you're bringing willing people who are bringing supplies to help me. And there is a future hope that I can rebuild. Thank you, O God. You are still on the throne, even in this terrible circumstance. That's what Paul is urging people to be able to do in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain and disaster, not thanking God for the evil thing. Well, those are some forces that war against thankfulness. What about the bond? Let me speak about the bond between grace and gratitude. Isn't it interesting that when many, thing, many people talk about uh, giving thanks before a meal, they will say, now let's say grace. Do you ever wonder about why people say grace? Well, the words are directly related. The word grace and the word gratitude is very linked together in the linguistic roots of, of the words themselves. And saying grace is really a good way to speak because it's saying, let's pause and speak about God who is all gracious, God who is a giver, God who is a benefactor. He doesn't owe us anything. We're going to briefly acknowledge the fact that he's given us everything. 
We acknowledge God's grace in works of creation. Paul in Acts 17.24 told Athenian philosophers who had no real accurate ideas of God. He wanted to say to them, well, you share this much thinking with me that in Him, in God, we live and move and have our very being. Do you ever think about what a miracle it is that your heart has kept on beating since yesterday? I used to think about this when I was a boy. You know, I'd stop and get quiet and try to feel my own heartbeat or take my pulse and think, what if it stopped? And then I'd worry about that a little bit. Maybe it will stop. And of course, one day it will. But amazingly, here I am, 68 years old. It's been beating all this time. What a miracle. What a gift. It was God who made us that way, to draw breath into our lungs, to have life and and all the adventures and, and difficulties and good things, joyful things that we can experience in a life. Acts of providence, ordinary benefits like protection from war. You don't live in a war zone. I don't think any of you had to flee from a dictator last night in order to find a place where you could shelter and sleep and be safe and warm. Your car, perhaps, I hope, started reliably. A couple weeks ago, my car let me down. It's only two years old. Turned the switch in the garage. Click. Nothing. I thought, what's going on here? Triple A, quick. I'm having a disaster. Get here quick. My car won't start. And then I calmed down and thought, hey, it's only a car. Come on. It needs a new battery. God gives me so many reliable things that I can count on. So many friends, so many gracious people, so many supportive people. I live in a free country where I can go to a poll and vote for someone. Maybe my candidate doesn't win, but at least they've heard from me. I can get medications that keep me from having a heart attack. I can have surgery that contributes to healing. All these are wonderful things. Do I thank God that these things are freely available to me? as acts of the providence of God. But above all, when we think of combining grace and gratitude, isn't the greatest act of grace of all the gift of our salvation in Jesus Christ? In 2 Corinthians 9.15, Paul spoke about Jesus and, and said, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift, a gift that is beyond description. What is that gift? Jesus Christ. The greatest thing God could possibly give was rooted and based in the gift of Jesus himself who came to be our salvation. God doesn't owe me that gift. The only thing God owes me is eternal condemnation and banishment from his presence. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you aren't on first base with the gospel of the New Testament. God owes us nothing. He doesn't owe us salvation. But he gave his son the unthinkable gift, the unspeakable gift. We should be praising him every day. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for his obedience that took him to the cross. For we who did not deserve what he did. We should be singing that song all the time in our minds. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, that grace, now like a fetter. Do you know what a fetter is? A handcuff. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Oh, God, what a giver you are. 
You give and you give and you give, and I take and I take and I take, and I never or at least seldom stop to say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the wonders even of my salvation. Well, I conclude today by thinking, why must thankfulness be woven into all of our prayers? By giving thanks, we deliberately engrave upon our own memories the record of what God has done and is doing. Before we come to supplication, and hopefully we'll speak of this next time, before we ask for things, we're saying, look at what a ground I have to expect that God will be a giver because he is so richly given in the past for these things I thank him for. Do I have a warrant to believe that he might do again for me some great thing, some wonderful thing? Of course I do. Look at what he's already done. He's got a performance record. He has answered the question, what has God done for me lately? I just haven't been calculating it. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, thankfulness practiced deliberately leaves no doubt in our minds as to the goodness of God. A man named Samuel Storms wrote, surely there can be no more despicable sin on the part of any believer than ingratitude. Not to be thankful is to declare oneself to be sufficient to achieve things on your own, including salvation. You don't thank God? I guess you're assuming that you're responsible for your eternal salvation and everything else. I read a man, I don't honestly remember the name of the person who wrote this, but he was obviously a Presbyterian. And this person said, I am a Presbyterian, but I must say that in this way, at least, I believe in immersion baptism. For I say, let us soak our prayers in the giving of thanks until our words are lifted to God, dripping and saturated with gratitude. I love that. Yes, you can be an immersionist in that sense, folks. Let your prayers be immersed in thankfulness. Let them be offered dripping wet to God with your gratitude Give thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't ignore the screaming reality of your home being knocked down or flooded or having to start all over without insurance. It isn't saying, thank you, God. Hurricanes and earthquakes are good things. They're not good things. But it is saying, thank you, Lord, that you have spared me to this day. You've allowed me the opportunity to start again, to look to you. I praise your name for life itself. I praise you for these strangers who are helping me, who are handing me a bottle of water or showing me their grace by helping me in such a time. God-centered thankfulness does not ignore the negative sorrows and disasters and disappointments that happen, but it is looking for the hand of God and the fingerprints of God even in such things. You wouldn't know this probably about our first hymn that we sang this morning. It's almost a 400-year-old hymn. It was from early in the Reformation days. A German Lutheran pastor named Martin Rinkart composed the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. Now you would think, okay, that's a nice hymn. I like it. We, we sing it usually around Thanksgiving. Now Thank We All Our God. Okay, that's a good hymn. Probably this was a minister who had a peaceful life and, and had a lot of blessings heaped up that he was thanking God for. Let me tell you about Martin Rinkert. 
He lived through the Thirty Years' War in Europe, in which tens of thousands of people were killed in an ongoing struggle that lasted several decades. It was called the Thirty Years' War for obvious reasons. It ravaged much of Europe. And then, just a little while after that war, Martin Rienkart also lived in his region of Saxony, now called Germany, a, through an episode of the plague. And the plague killed 8,000 people in Saxony, where Martin Rinkart lived. He told of times when he had to conduct burial services, joint burial services for as many as 50 people at a time. The deaths were literally heaping up the bodies. Those were the circumstances Martin Rinkart had experienced. Thirty years' war, the plague, when he sat down and penned to him. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices. Was he a madman? No. He was a Christian. He was a grateful Christian who gave thanks to his God and knew that thanks had to be the dominant chord in the music of prayer. The Holy Spirit in us can find ways to lift gratitude to God in the worst of circumstances. Thankfulness, deliberately pursued, becomes an indelible systemic pattern in our lives. A life that's been changed by the grace of God is a life that gives thanks. In all things, at all times, we of all people who know Christ must be prepared to say, Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our Father, there are folks among us who have hard things in their lives, aching things, sorrowing things. They've lost a spouse in recent days. They've battled disease. They're out of a job. They're facing rebellious young adult children. And they say, what has God done for me lately? Will you teach us to say thanks be to God for his wonderful gifts, first in Christ himself and then so many other things? We try to say with our faith and hope, thanks be to God. Amen.